in the blood of his sacrifice. The reality is that you are either clean or you are dirty. And you're still lost in your sin. And the only thing that can cleanse you is the blood of Jesus. And so the question for all of us today is, are you clean? Thank you so much, Miss Lakin. Blessing us in that song. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 1. Brother Steve has already read our scripture. Thank you, Brother Steve. I've entitled the message this morning, This is the Message. Most theologians believe that John the Apostle, the brother of James, son of Zebedee, the writer of the fourth gospel, the three general epistles that we know as first and second and third John, and the book of Revelation is the writer of this letter we call first John. This is the same John who refers to himself throughout the Gospel of John as the disciple that Jesus loved. He was one in Jesus' inner circle. Remember Peter, James, and John. He was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was the one who leaned upon Jesus' breast At the Last Supper, when we see the picture of the Last Supper and you see the one leaning on Jesus, supposedly that was John. He is the one that was found at the foot of the cross. He looked up and he saw the crucified Jesus. And it was at the foot of the cross as he's looking at Jesus that Jesus actually said, take care of my mother. He asked that. Of John. He was the one that got up early the morning and ran with Peter to the tomb and, and he witnessed the empty tomb and later he would eat breakfast with Jesus on the lake shore after Jesus' resurrection. Now some date this letter in the latter part of the first century perhaps around 90 A.D., which would mean that John would be uh, older as he wrote this letter. But his wisdom, his experiences with Christ personally, and his leadership in the church would have made him an elder statesman and had given him authority and the ears of those in the church. Now, John is writing during the beginning of a rise of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a prominent heretical movement within the second century Christian church, influenced by such philosophers as Plato. Gnosticism taught that physical matter was evil, while anything spiritual was good. Physical matter, bad. Spiritual things, good. And as a result, Gnostics denied the humanity of Jesus, though they tried to affirm the 
deity of Jesus. The Gnostics claim to have a greater knowledge. It was only for those who were enlightened. Those who had been liberated by the divine spark that was within themselves. This mystical knowledge was elevated oftentimes over Scripture itself. This heresy had two different views. First, some believe Jesus' physical body was not really real, but only appeared to be physical. Thus, they would deny the incarnation and the humanity of Jesus. Another view was that sin committed in the body, the physical body, did not matter. Only the spirit was good and mattered, therefore anything done in the body was permissible. So one could disregard God's law and could even deny the existence of sin itself. So we see in this letter of 1 John, this book of 1 John, that John is confronting these heretical teachings throughout his book. If you look with me in 1 John chapter 4 in verse 2, just a page over, notice what John says. He says, This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit who confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So he's emphasizing Jesus coming in the flesh. That he didn't just appear to be human But he did take on humanity. He took on flesh and blood. In 1 John chapter 1, our main passage today, but before our verses that Brother Steve read, in verses 1 and 2, John is highlighting the fact that he personally experienced Jesus in the flesh. He personally experienced it. Notice what he says. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. All those words, He heard, He saw, He touched, it was revealed They saw it. John is writing about his first-hand knowledge of Jesus. And his account of Jesus in the flesh is trustworthy. You can believe him. As far as dealing with the idea of sin, the Apostle Paul, uh, John, rather, addresses it in 1 John chapter 3 and verses 4 through 10. Now, we won't read all of these, but... Read with me first in verse 4, 1 John 3. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of law. Look in verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he, God, is righteous. And so... John is confronting this idea that there is no sin. So we come to our 
main passage today, and we'll start in verse 5. And he says, This is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light, and in Him there is absolutely no darkness at all. John introduces his readers to the message that he has received directly from the Lord Himself. He's not getting this message second-hand, third-hand, fourth-hand. He's saying, we have heard from the Lord Himself. And what I have heard from Him, I declare to you. How many of you have ever played that game? Where one person starts out with a phrase, a thought, and they whisper it in the ear of another person. And then that person is to receive what he heard or she heard, and then pass it on to the next person. And then pass it on to the next person. And maybe you're in a circle and that message just keeps getting passed to person, to person, to person, to person. And then you get to the end, and what happens? It's usually pretty funny, isn't it? It's usually pretty funny because the last person, what he or she shares is usually so different from the message that the first person started off with. You know, it might be funny when we're playing the game. But the message that God has given to man is deadly serious and has eternal consequences. We must get this right. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the very power to save individuals. But if the gospel is diluted, or the gospel is polluted, then it's no longer the purity of the gospel. And so folks, we have got to get this right. The Apostle Paul knew this full well. If you'll turn with me to two scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel that I proclaim to you. You received it, and have taken your stand on it. You were also saved by it, if you hold to the message that I proclaim to you unless you believe for no purpose. For I passed on to you what was most important and what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying this is the essence of the Gospel. It's not the Gospel in total. But it is the essence of the gospel. It is the crescendo of the gospel. We cannot get this part wrong. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, 
And that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, He'll tell the Galatian churches something uh, similar. If you want to turn just a few pages over to Galatians chapter 1. Look with me beginning in verse 6. He says to the Galatian churches, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from Him who called you by the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. Now what's going on in Galatians? Galatians, the people, the false teachers in Galatia are saying that people have to be circumcised in addition to faith in Christ Jesus. That it is by grace, but you must be circumcised. And Paul is confronting them, saying, no, the grace of God is through faith in Christ. And it's not in works. We're not saved by works. There's nothing that you can do to save yourself. Set faith, have faith in Christ. So notice what Paul says. But even if we or an angel comes from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. And then he says it again. He says, as I have said before and I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a curse be on him. It's important that we get this right. Jump down to verse 11 and 12. Paul says, now, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel preached to me, or by me, is not based on human thought, for I did not receive it from a human source, and I was not taught it, but it came by revelation from Jesus Christ. And so Paul is also saying, like John, that that which I have heard from him, received from him, I declare to you, This is the message. How long have you stopped? How long has it been since you've stopped and you've thought about the miracle of God that the gospel has gotten to you? Can you imagine the miles that the gospel has had to travel to get to you? Can you imagine the terrain that the gospel has had to cross over to get to you over mountains and valleys and through forests and deserts and over oceans and through rivers and over continents to get to you? What a miracle of God that we have the gospel today. How about the centuries that this story, this message, this gospel has had to travel to get to you? How about though, uh, through the faithful servants that God has allowed this message to pass through from one to the other to get to you? How about those who have been stoned to death or burned at the stake or their heads have been cut off, or they faced imprisonments or persecutions and the tortures of those who have risked their lives so that this 
message can get to you. How about the attacks on this message? The devil and his legion of demons who have tried to rid the world of this message. Attacks on the accuracy of the gospel. From atheists to skeptics to critics to agnostics to false teachers to counterfeit believers to world religions and to cults. What a miracle it is that we have a copy of God's Word in our hands and can read for ourselves the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a miracle it is that a Sunday school teacher this morning can teach our children about the Lord. What a miracle it is that preachers all over the globe today will stand in the pulpits and proclaim that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man can come to the Father but through Him. This is the message. That God is light. And in Him, there is absolutely no darkness at all. Notice that John says God is light. Psalms 104 verse 2 says that God wraps Himself in light. Throughout the Bible, God is called by many different names and He is described in many different ways. And one of those ways is light. If you remember in the Old Testament when Moses went up on the mountain of God to receive the two stone commandments, the Ten Commandments, in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, Remember, he asked if he could see God's glory. What did God say? You cannot see my face and live, for no one can see me and live. But God allows Moses to hide in the crevice of a rock, and Moses is able to see God's glory after he passes by. And when Moses comes down off the mountain, do you remember what the people thought of Moses? What does the Bible say? They were afraid of Moses. Why? Because his face shone as a result of speaking with the Lord. So Moses is up on the mountain. He's spending time with God. And when he comes down off that mountain, his face is glowing and it freaks the Israelites out. But what does that tell us about God? God is light. And there's absolutely no darkness in Him at all. In Acts chapter 9 in the New Testament, as Saul was nearing Damascus to find the men and the women who belonged to the way and wanting to bring them back to Jerusalem so that he could imprison them and beat them and perhaps kill them, suddenly a light flashed from heaven all around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus answered, I am Jesus, the one that you are persecuting. What do we learn about God there? And Jesus, He came in light. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, John writes about heaven. 
And he says that the city in heaven, the city, the new Jerusalem in heaven, needs no sun or moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb. So from the Old Testament to the New Testament to a vision of eternity, God is light and has been described by biblical writers as light. Why light? Light denotes purity and perfection. John says there's absolutely no darkness in Him at all. Jesus would say in Matthew 5.48, Be perfect even as My Father in heaven is perfect. Peter would write and quote an Old Testament verse, but he would say that God said, Be holy because I am holy. James writes, Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So what do we know about light and God? And God is light. What does that say to us? It says that God is holy and He is righteous and He is good and He is perfect and He is pure and He is perfect in all His ways, in all that He does. Our God is light. And there's no darkness in Him at all. And I can trust Him with my life and I can trust Him with everything in my life. He is pure and He is perfect. But not only does light denote purity and perfection, but light also reveals and illuminates. Verses 6 through 10 in our scripture today reveals and illuminates the message of the gospel that is essential for one to be cleansed and to be saved. The gospel starts with God, it is his story. But in verses 6 through 10, we see five of John's if-then statements. Notice them with me. In verse 6, we'll see the Gospel confronts. In verse 7, the Gospel confirms. In verse 8, you'll see the Gospel convicts. In verse 9, the Gospel cleanses. And in verse 10, you'll see the Gospel condemns. In verse 6, we see the Gospel confronts. H.B. Charles Jr. says that in verse 6, we see a claim, a contradiction, and a condemnation. First, we see the claim. Notice, it says, if we say we have fellowship with Him. The claim. If we say we have fellowship with Him. You know, it's easy to say something, isn't it? It's a lot harder to do it. Easy to say, harder to do. I can remember Rush Limbaugh saying of former President Obama, just words. Just words. Now, whether you agree with his assessment or not, that's not the point. What he was saying was that he believed President Obama was full of words and no actions. If you ask the average American on the streets today if they're a Christian... Many of them would say yes. They would say they believe in God. But their lives would tell a much different story. Jesus warns in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not a matter of what you say, it's what you do. He that does the will of the Father is His. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? Did we not drive out demons in Your name? And did we not perform many miracles in Your name? And we'll hear those horrific words from the Savior Himself. Depart from Me. I never knew You. I never knew You. It's not what we say that matters. It's what we do. The Gospel confronts. Not only is there a claim, but there's a contradiction. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, and here's the contradiction, yet we walk in darkness, there's the contradiction. We say we walk with Him and have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk in darkness. John MacArthur poses the question whether this verse is meant for a believer or a non-believer. Is it a verse about a believer who's not walking with the Lord like he or she should? Or is this verse referring to a lost person? A counterfeit believer? Then he states his reasons why he believes that John is addressing a non-believer. Now there is some disagreement here, so it's alright to disagree. But he reminds us about the context. What's the context? What's John confronting? He's confronting the false teachers who don't even believe in the humanity of Jesus. That He only appeared to come, but not really in the flesh. And they're saying that they have fellowship with Him. Could it be that John is saying that you can't have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness? There were false teachers and counterfeit believers in the church who didn't believe in the incarnation and full humanity of Jesus. He's also addressing the lie that one can be saved and sin all that he wants to. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says, What shall we do? Shall we continue in our sin? Now that we've experienced the grace of God, now that we're saved, can I just go sin all that I want to? Because His grace is going to cover me. And guess what Paul says? Heaven forbid. If that's your attitude, then you missed it. You missed the grace of God. The grace of God doesn't give you a license to sin. It changes your life so that you don't want to sin. Third, there's a condemnation. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and we're not practicing the truth. So basically... The gospel confronts you in holiness. God is light. Doesn't it make sense that if anyone is going to follow God, they need to follow Him in the light? Jesus claimed He was the light of the world. And then He told His followers, You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the gospel confronts. In verse 7, we see the gospel confirms. Notice verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. 
The real evidence that you are saved and that you have a saving faith is that there is a change in your life. Paul says, if there's anyone in Christ, you're a brand new creature. Old things are gone. Behold, all things are new. I love putting these three verses together. Romans 8.29 says that He, God, predestined us believers to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, some of us get tripped up on that predestined word. Follow what it's saying. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. What is He saying? His predetermined goal is for us to look like Jesus. Now watch this. Ephesians 2.10 says the same thing. For we, believers, are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So watch this. God prepared ahead of time good works that we are to do in Christ Jesus, those who are saved, those of us who belong to Christ, we are to do good works. God has prepared them in advance for us to walk in those good works. And we are God's workmanship. Let me add one more. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. He who began a good work in you, if you're saved, He's begun the good work in you. He saved you. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in you until the day of Christ Jesus. Notice this. He begins the work, and then who is the one that is faithful? He is faithful. He that began a good work in you will be faithful. He will be faithful. We will not be faithful. I will fall. You will fall. We will sin. He is faithful. He's faithful to what? Complete the work that He started in you. So guess what, folks? How do we look and evaluate and examine ourselves to see whether or not we're saved? We don't go back to a time when we walked this aisle and we shook a preacher's hand and we cried a couple of tears and we wrote a couple of things on a card. That is not your salvation. But if you're walking in the light, as He is in the light, you have fellowship one with the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all your sin. God has already predetermined works. And you are to look like Jesus. And He is going to be faithful. And so how do we tell those who are saved from not saved? It's because you're walking in the light. The Gospel confirms our salvation. The Gospel confronts The Gospel confirms. The Gospel convicts. In verse 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The Bible teaches us that we're sinners. Do I really have to go down that road with you folks? All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. We're all sinners. 
Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He'll convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. But one has to come to the point where they agree with God and His Word about what His Word says about them. And what does His Word say about us? It says that we are sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. Do you see yourself as a sinner? Can you admit your sin and your guilt? Remember Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has this vision of the Lord and he's high and lifted up on a throne. And angelic creatures are flying in the temple of the Lord and they're saying to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And as Isaiah sees this vision of the Lord in His glory, he is so convicted about himself being a man in trouble that he says, Woe is me. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Can you in your sin recognize the holiness of God and see the disparity between you and holy God? There is a big gap between holy God and you. And that gap speaks to the fact that we're sinners and that we fall short of the glory of God. Verse 9, the gospel cleanses. This is one of the favorite verses in the Bible. You've heard it before perhaps. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you don't know that verse, you need to know it. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This week I had someone come out to the house to help me with some of my outside drains. And after he had spent some time looking at the drains, determining where they were all going, which was helping me to figure that out, he said, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Which one do you want first? You love that? I actually told him to give me the good news. (laughs) I want the good news. But listen to this. The gospel is good news. However, before the gospel can be good news to you, you have to understand the bad news. And the bad news is you're a sinner. And your sin condemns you to death and to hell, separated from God for all eternity. But the good news is that God in His love and in His grace has seen your plight and your dire situation and has sent His Son to die on the old rugged cross, shedding His own life's blood, bearing your sin and your shame, and dying as a substitute in your place. And He's done this for you. And you have one responsibility. Admit that you're a sinner. Confess your sins. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus took your place on the cross. And trust Him for your cleansing and for your salvation. And when you do, the Bible says God is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sin and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. And yes, there is nothing that God cannot forgive you of or cleanse you from. The blood of His Son is more powerful 
than the deepest and the darkest stain. And it can cleanse you today. And you can be saved in Jesus. The Gospel cleanses. Verse 10, the Gospel condemns. Look at verse 10. But if we say we don't have any sin, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. If you ignore this message, this miracle of God, gospel message that has gotten to you today, if you ignore it, and you dismiss the truth that you are a sinner and that you need cleansing, then you need to understand You leave nothing left for God if you die without Him. But for Him to exercise His wrath upon your sin and upon your rejection of His Son who died in your place so that you could be cleansed. You leave Him no choice. So this Gospel, it can cleanse or it can condemn. If you ignore the warning, and you reject His offer of salvation, then you're denying what God is saying about you being a sinner, and you make Him out to be a liar. You can make Him your Savior. You can make Him a liar. The Gospel can cleanse you. The Gospel can condemn you. But John says this, this, is the message that we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. Would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. God, for those of us who know Your Gospel and know Your salvation and know Your cleansing, Father, today we can rejoice knowing that, Lord, You moved heaven and earth and even sent Your only dear Son so that we could be saved and cleansed and be made right with You. Father, I can't look into the hearts of men and women, boys and girls in this room. Father, either they're clean or they're dirty. I pray today, by the power of Your Spirit, through the message of the Gospel, that they'll choose to be clean. They'll choose to accept the wonderful gift from God that we could never earn on our own or merit 
We just have to freely and humbly receive. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. God, we give you this time of invitation. We ask that you would work, speak to hearts, draw men, women to yourself. This is your time. We give it to you. As you stand today, not that I can control you looking around, but I want to ask that you would pray for someone today that you suspect doesn't know Jesus. You're not their judge, but you just have never heard them say that they're a Christian. Would you spend some time today praying for their lost soul? Praying for God to reveal to them this message of the gospel that can cleanse and save. Would you do that? If you need to come, the altars are open.